Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMEA markets. It's Wednesday, January 24th, and I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, we'll be talking with credit analyst Charlie Ward about Reorg's latest EMEA primary market wrap for 2023. Then we will discuss Italian, the French facility management services provider, which recently agreed a refinancing agreement with a group of note holders. But first, we're going to dive into the latest on German real estate company Adler after its Part 26A restructuring plan, which was sanctioned last year, became the first of its kind to be appealed and subsequently overturned in the English Court of Appeal earlier this week. Joining me to discuss German real estate company Adler's restructuring plan is Reorg's senior legal director, Chetna Mistry. Hi, Chetna. Let's kick things off. Can you provide our listeners with a brief overview of what transpired with Adler's restructuring plan? Certainly. So Adler's Part 26A restructuring plan was sanctioned by the English High Court in April last year. However, a group of the company's 2029 bondholders sought to challenge the plan on eight grounds. The English Court of Appeal not only entertained an appeal, which was heard in October of last year, but also overturned the plan in the judgment which was handed down yesterday. It's significant because Adler's plan is the first to be appealed and overturned since restructuring plans were first introduced. The leading judgment was given by Lord Justice Snowden, and it clarifies the existing case law on restructuring plans and also sets a framework for the exercise of the court's discretion in binding dissenting classes to restructuring plans. Fascinating. Now, why was the plan overturned? So the judgment rested on two main points. Firstly, the plan deviated from the fundamental pari-passu principle, and that basically dictates that losses in insolvency should be shared equally. The argument was that distributions under the plan differed materially from those under the relevant alternative, which was basically a wind down in a formal German insolvency process. And that placed an undue risk on the 2029 bondholders, essentially by preserving the existing maturity dates of the notes. The differential treatment was unjustified and a clear departure from the Paripassu principle. Secondly, the judgment also visited and revised the test for the exercise of the court's discretion on Part 26A restructuring plans. Okay, that's quite intricate. Can you break down the implications of the Court of Appeals judgment? Yes, so the implications are multifaceted. The judgment emphasised the importance of adhering to the Paripassu principle and cautioned against unjustified departures. It also clarified that deviations are acceptable when justified, for instance, when certain creditors provide additional consideration to the company. Additionally, the judgment provided specific guidance on the rationality test and horizontal comparison when cross-class cram-down is invoked. And how does this affect Adler going forward? Yes, so despite the setback, I guess, to the company, it has expressed commitment to proceed with its planned restructuring. The Court of Appeals decision nullifies the sanction order, setting it aside, but it doesn't invalidate the amended bond terms, which form the basis of the group's ongoing liabilities. It said in a statement that its bond terms will remain valid and it plans to continue its restructuring despite the legal turbulence. It also added that regardless of the decision, the implementation of the restructuring was carried out in accordance with German law and the 2029 bondholders didn't apply for the appeal to have a suspensive effect on the sanction order. 
And finally, what are some of the more critical analysis of the outcome saying? So in terms of some of the more general observations, which of course aren't exhaustive, the um, preservation of the Paripassu principle is obviously a positive outcome. Investors with equal rights against a debtor should be treated equally. And the cross-class cram-down mechanism wasn't designed to be an oppressive weapon to be deployed by the majority classes. The judgment's pragmatic approach allows for justified deviation from the principle when creditors provide additional consideration. Also, the clarity on the application of the rationality test and the judge's discretion in cross-class cram-down situation does provide valuable guidance for future cases. Thanks, Chetna. And to our listeners, we have legal analysis published on the Reorg website, uh, so please do check that out. Thank you. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey in the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. Earlier this week, Reorg published its EMEA Primary Market 2023 wrap, which uses Reorg's proprietary data to examine a number of key trends in the high yield and leverage loans markets, including average yields, rating spreads, uh, uses of proceeds and upcoming maturities. First of all, on the bonds, Charlie, could you walk us through your findings? Hi, Andrew. Yeah, sure. So most importantly, 2023 marked the year in which the bond market reopened. And as I'm sure we're all aware, issuance volumes in 2022 were extremely low on account of the rate uncertainty created by the macroeconomic environment at the time. So to quantify it, we saw a doubling of issuance volumes year over year from 2022 to 2023. However, 2023 volumes still came to less than half the amount that we observed in 2021 and a low 10-year average. And how do such volumes compare with the the loan market? So term loan B issuance volumes, uh, the increase was threefold to 87.8 billion in 2023 and Amed and Extend dominated the market. Um, We also observed that uh, simple refinancing to push out maturities was uh, the dominant force in the bond market. And what about M&A activity? So yeah, we did observe some LBO and acquisition-related new debt come to the high yield and the leveraged loan markets. However, in both markets, this was at a far lower volume compared to 2021. Of course, the higher rates that we observe now and corresponding lower valuations mean that the economics of these deals kind of no longer makes sense uh, for those sponsors who are engaging in them. Interestingly, however, issuances that involve dividend recaps did actually make a reappearance in both the high yield and leverage loan markets in 2023. And this is in contrast to them being largely absent in 2022. And dividend recaps, uh, their reappearance may actually be a consequence uh, of the difficult M&A market as sponsors use it as a partial exit strategy to deliver equity returns. And this is without the need for sale at lower valuations. Okay, and have you noticed anything about where issuances uh, pricing in, in general? So we observed that the average yield to maturity issuance in 2023 was 8%. And in contrast, this is almost double that of 2021. So yeah, the, to issue on the high yield bond market now, you're definitely paying a higher price as an issuer. But on the, on the flip side, it also leads to uh, higher investor returns in the market at the moment. Of course, this uh, just hasn't had implications for investors. Issuers are feeling the pressure to refinance at higher rates that they may have been able to secure financing at historically. 
and we actually reviewed a large subset of offering memoranda and observed a decline in interest coverage and fixed charge coverage ratios pro forma for uh, transactions in 2023. You can see check the report to see the extent. Also, our report provides some insights on yield spreads between different rating categories and other rate spread between loans and bonds. Okay, that's a lot to think about. Um, I guess, lastly, based on what you saw throughout 2023, do you have any predictions for the current year? So firstly, we calculate that there are 77 billion worth of high yield bonds maturing in 2024 and 2025. And so we would expect those notes that are not associated with complex distressed and restructuring situations to come to market as part of a refinancing. And this was echoed by those we spoke to in the market. On the flip side, there may be some issuers who are not under pressure from imminent maturities, um, and they may wait until the time frame and extent of potential interest rate cuts by central banks is more clear. And for the loan market, uh, investors noted that repricings are expected to be a prominent feature in the near term. Uh, we sort of calculate that there may, may be 15 repricings expected across this month and the next. We also expect that there may be a number of LBO financings across the next few weeks, uh, which are actually named in the wrap. However, Reorg's LBO pipeline currently looks as limited now as it was at the start of 2023. We could expect this to change once the private equity market has taken time to complete transactions before the financing of those deals comes to market. Of all in all, the markets for both bonds and loans at the start of this year seems to have capitalized on the momentum that they generated in 2023, and we expect it to be pretty busy. As you know, uh, the team I work on, the credit analyst team, now publishes analysis on almost all the bonds that come to market. So check those out as they come through. Thank you, Charlie. Joining me now is credit analyst Wayne Jabawa. Hi, Wayne. Italian has been widely talked about due to its upcoming maturities in May 2024 and May 2025. The group recently announced their refinancing plan um, on January the 19th. So, Wayne, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So, the company released their long overdue refinancing plan last week, Friday, after market close. The group had until the end of February to determine how they would use the proceeds from the sale of Actrian to CDNR. Italian, who had been advised by Rothschild, signed a lockup agreement with 39% of the note holders. The key financial terms of the, ingre- uh, of the agreement include a 300 million cash redemption split 60-40 between the 2024 and 2025 notes. An additional 100 million has been offered to note holders who participate and consent before the end of the early bird period. The remaining senior notes will be exchanged into a single senior secured note due June 2028, which will have a 5% pick and a 3.5% cash coupon. The terms of the new note also include a double Luxco structure and a provision allowing the group to raise a 50 million euro senior secured RCF, which management said they will not pursue until after the refinancing was completed. Okay, sounds interesting. Um, So are Italian out of the woods then? Italian has only agreed this deal with 39% of the note holders. For this to go smoothly, the group needs 90% of each bond to consent to the deal. Given negotiations initially started with around two-thirds of creditors, there's a possibility the group may have to open conciliation proceedings, which they did mention they would consider. And who knows how long that process could take. But I would say on the face of it, the deal seems pretty decent for all parties involved, particularly particularly Italian, as the maturity extension allows the group to focus on executing their business plan. 
which is especially important as the group said that the new um, said that new business was being hampered by clients concerned about the group's solvency. Okay, and what can you tell us about this new business plan the company has? Um, so with this new business plan, the group now targets a recurring EBITDA margin of around 6% compared with the high single-digit figures that previous management had communicated. Without going into too many details, all in all, it seems that this plan is a lot more realistic, especially when compared with the preliminary plan which was initially communicated to the market in 2023. Crucially, the maturity extension allows the group to focus on their commercial efforts, which they mentioned were being hampered by the noise around the group's maturity wall. Hopefully, if they execute on their business plan and the 90% threshold is reached, they can engage in a, public, in a public refinancing later down the line. For the finer details, you should give the article on the Reorg website a read. Reorg's European Direct Lender Rankings for 2023 is now available. Download using the link provided in the podcast description. Reorg's Marina Irklienko and Oscar Lurica will also be at Deal Catalyst's European Direct Lending and Middle Market Conference on January 29th. Marina speaks on the rapid ascent of private credit, while Oscar discusses the evolving role of banks in private credit. Also, join Reorg on Tuesday, January 30th at 3 p.m. GMT or 10 a.m. Eastern Time for an insightful discussion on the top trends in high-yield bonds and leveraged loans. We'll be analyzing the quantitative and qualitative divergence and convergence in covenants, pushback frequencies, and provide a comprehensive outlook for 2024. More details on both those events, uh, visit reorg.com forward slash events. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next week for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.